Welcome to the 8020 Project, a new podcast series sponsored by Elevate Health of Pierce County, Washington, and One Pierce Community Resiliency Fund, a subsidiary of Elevate Health. This episode of the 8020 Project features host Robert Marshall Wells, Director of Marketing and Communications for Elevate Health. Today's conversation focuses on efforts to ensure that all Pierce County residents have access to a critical social determinant of health, food safety and security. Robert's guest is Michelle Douglas, CEO of the Emergency Food Network of Pierce County. Now here's our host, Robert Marshall Wells. Hello, I'm Robert Marshall Wells, host for this episode of the 8020 Project and Elevate Health Podcast. Our guest today is Michelle Douglas, CEO of the Emergency Food Network of Pierce County, Washington. The mission of the Emergency Food Network, which you will hear us refer to as EFN, is to provide Pierce County with a consistent, diverse, and nutritious food supply so that no person goes hungry. This podcast series is called The 80-20 Project because 20% of a person's health is determined by biology, while the other 80% is dependent on external factors, with access to healthy food being a major social determinant of, of any community's health. So, Michelle, we thank you very much for being with us today. It's a pleasure to have you, and thank you for your service to our community. So we'll jump right in. Please provide our listeners with a brief overview of the EFN, its operations, and all of that good stuff. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I, I love what you just said about 80% of health being things that are non-medical, non-biology, right? Because the one of the biggest drivers of that is having enough to eat. And what we see here in our community in Pierce County is that there's lots of folks that don't have enough to eat every single day. So one in nine people in Pierce County are hungry. One in six kids are hungry. And when we think about hunger, you know, I get hungry every day, but I don't know what it is to be truly hungry, right? Which is to maybe skip meals so that your kids have three meals in a day or even two meals in a day, or to try to stretch out a meal so that it lasts longer, um, what it is to be hungry in the afternoon at work if you have a job and, and to not be able to not only survive, but thrive, right? We need food in order to thrive. So for Emergency Food Network, we've been in existence for about 40 years. And over the course of that time, we've grown from where we started, which was about five food pantries, um, to serving about 75 food pantries. So we've had a lot of growth in 40 years. And what we really act as is kind of like the distribution backbone of our county for emergency food. And what that means is that we're able to receive food into our liquid facility in large quantities, and then we distribute it out to those 75 food pantry partners. And those partners really act with complete autonomy, and they um, get directly to the community that we need to serve. Overall, with the food pantries that are involved with Emergency Food Network, we see over 1.4 million visits a year. So just sit with that number for a little bit. Wow. It's a lot. Yeah. And we're in all parts of the county. So we're at the base of Rainier, we're out on the peninsula. And that service model is really different depending on where you are, right? So in a normal year, we distribute about 15 million pounds. In the height of COVID, we swelled up to 19 million pounds. And as we saw during COVID, we had this emergency response we needed to kind of put together very, very quickly. And so 
um, as part of that, we really looked at how do people get the food that they need. And we expanded our own Emergency Food Network um, home delivery program, but we also um, helped support our partners in different ways. So that was like massive box distribution. I'm sorry you all saw boxes go out there. Right. And it was... Um, increasing how many deliveries we do. So about half of our sites pick up at our distribution center and the other half uh, receive food through um, coming to get it uh, themselves. And so either way, right, how do we get the food out to our to our client base? And how do we do it when people need to kind of separate out in order to be fed? Right. So it's been a really challenging time, but also kind of an innovative and exciting time. Right. Um, to try to figure out new ways of giving service. Sure. Challenge always makes you think of new ways, innovative ways to do things that you've been sort of taking for granted. Right. So we'll, we'll come back to that. I wanted to ask you about the pandemic and, and the effects that it's had on the organization. But let's start with something more basic, which um, might seem obvious, but I think it's probably a complicated question. How does EFN acquire food? It's a great question. So we acquire food through a couple different methods. So the main way that Emergency Food Network gets food is uh, through donation partners. So large grocery store um, donations, farm donations. Uh, sometimes we buy food, so we'll pay like a pack fee and we'll bring in 45,000 pounds, for example, of potatoes at a time. Now that sounds like a lot of potatoes, but when you think about dividing it by 75, right, not so many potatoes. Right. Um, we also have friends uh, like at the ports. And so when products going to go bad, like bananas is something we often mm, get, mm -hmm. uh, we're able to take that product in and then, then get it out. We also buy products. So we buy about $1.3 million worth of food annually. And we focus in on food that is um, really good for our unhoused neighbors. So like maybe food in a pouch, like canned tuna or something like that. And then we also do our staple products. So rice, oats, and pasta. And we buy those in large quantities, and then our volunteers help us repack them. Uh, and then we also buy, um, you know, some frozen proteins and milk and things like that. And then as we go on, when we think about how do we get fresh product in, uh, we also have a farm out in the Puyallup Valley. So we grow food at our wow. farm for distribution through our home delivery network and mm -hmm. also through our food pantries. Oh, Wow. It's a big operation. It's pretty big. It's a big operation. So you mentioned earlier um, the, the funding model. Is it primarily donations? Did I hear you correctly? Is, is that correct? It's donations, and then we're also the distributor for the federal food that comes into the county and the state funds that come into the county. So those are TFAP and WSDA um, are really the big distributors on that. So all of that that is allocated for Pierce County comes through Emergency Food Network, and then we're also really fortunate to have partners with Pierce County Council, many of our cities and things like that, that are really understanding that for communities to be able to really thrive, they need to have access to food. Right, right. What's the annual revenue for um, EFN? So um, annually, we our budget is about $5 million for our operating budget. But on top of that, because we move so much donated product, you know, the value of the food that we re remove is about $25 million. Okay. Yeah. I thought there was going to be a multiplier effect yeah, in there exactly. somehow. Just based on all of the things that you do and how you do it. So um, let's talk a little bit more uh, about the impacts that the pandemic has had on 
uh, EFN and its operations. You talked about the home delivery as well as pickup. Uh, but what are, what have been some of the other impacts, uh, anticipated and unanticipated? Yeah, that is such a great question. One of the things when you think about emergency food management and what you're going to do in a crisis is every model is about bringing people together, right? Like if you had said to me, you need to stand up a giant food distribution site at the Tacoma Dome and you need to do meals out of there. We were, we had somewhat of a plan for that. Mm -hmm. But what no emergency service had a plan for was pushing people apart. So how do we feed people in isolation? Right. Right. How do we... um, immediately rotate food pantries from what's kind of like a grocery store, really dignity self-select model to uh, distribution that it lets people stay apart. So uh, we saw people do uh, boxes, like pre-packed boxes. We got a lot of those from the state and do distribution like that. Um, we did, as I said, home delivery. We started with five families. Now we serve 250 families a week. Um, that program has just exploded from there. Uh, we also did large-scale um, kind of produce distributions through other partners. It's been a really in, I would call it like in real time, mm-hmm. a chance to adjust our model. And people talk about, well, you know, the pandemic is over. And I would just tell you the pandemic is not over, right? So we're seeing people every day that have COVID. Um, one of the things that happens, for example, when the Tacoma Pierce County Health Department calls you and says, your results are positive or you need to quarantine. They also say, do you have access to food? And if you say no, then they give you our phone number and we immediately put you onto our home delivery program. And, and it's a part of that home delivery program. We also get products, you know, to keep your house clean. You know, we were telling Mm -hmm. people disinfect and do all these things, but we weren't in any way giving them the supplies to be able to do that. Right. So I would describe COVID as an opportunity, not just for emergency food network, but our 75 pantry partners to get super creative. I would tell you also, honestly, some of what we did didn't work that well. Like we did a massive potato distribution at the Tacoma Dome and we shut down traffic on I-5, right? Like it wasn't our best shiny moment. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was we, we gave away 200,000 pounds of potatoes with the National Guard in about six hours. Um, and I wouldn't do that one again. So, right, you know, yeah. it's always a learning. Right, 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 right. Well, all successes have to come with some experimentation, right? And some failures even. Um, You know, it seems like for years we have been drifting towards a society of haves and have-nots. And I would would suspect that the numbers of people accessing food banks has been going up. But I would also imagine that COVID really, really had some, some, some consequences. True? Yeah, I so appreciate you bringing that up. I would tell you that that food is one of the number one indicators of when people are not making it. So when we think about, um, there's a study that says uh, 40% of Americans don't have money to handle a $400 emergency. Um, And when we think about that, that's like, that's less than a dental bill. That's less than a car repair. And people were already sitting on that edge pre-COVID. And then during COVID, it just exploded. So our highest month the first year was a 70% increase. We averaged out a 40% increase, and we used kind of 2019 as our base year. Right. So we, we started to see a little bit of a decline last year, and then the first quarter of 2022 just blew that up. So what happened for us is um, we just had our busiest March ever. Not even – that includes COVID. So if we look at 2019 as the base year, there's sure. a 52% increase 
in people seeking services. Um, I had a food pantry call yesterday and say, uh, we need more food. We, we had 200 new families in the last month. At they one regularly food bank. at one food bank. They regularly only serve about 150 families. So when we look at numbers like that, you know, in, in the month prior, we had 10 different food pantries call us and say, we don't have enough food. And we're having that ex- same experience on our side, right? Where donations are down, there's less food in the system. And what we're really seeing is that there's going to be even less. I mean, when we think about what's happening in the world, right. there's a dramatic food impact ahead for the world. Wow. Okay. Well, that's sobering to say the very least. So supply chain issues, difficult to begin with during covid and now, as you mentioned, because of the war in Russia and other factors, there's going to be a bigger impact coming. How bad is it going to be? Can you anticipate? And how do you respond? Well, I'll be honest. Um, you know, Emergency Food Network in Pierce County, uh, we are not going to be able to predict the trends for the world. But there are some things that we're seeing already. So according to Civil Eats, 44% of the world's grain supply is grown in Russia and Ukraine. I don't know if you've seen the pictures of Ukrainian farmers out in in bulletproof vests uh, trying to get their crops in. But all of those crops went in in the end of March and beginning of April. And so... Um, that is a huge amount of the food supply that supplies the system, right? And a lot of that grain is going to countries that are in even worse shape than we are. During COVID, we saw this incredible run on general supply chain things. So um, we would jokingly say that I never moved without my phone and that our buyer would text us a 911 text. And he'd be like, Michelle, I've got peanut butter. I can get a truckload of peanut butter. And I'd be like, buy, buy, buy. It's kind of like the stock stock market. And I think we're going to head back into that. What we saw during COVID was an incredible disruption of the world's plan for how they produce food. And then, you know, we, we started to ease out of some of the pandemic pieces and we started to get some of those pieces figured out. And now what we're going to see is we're seeing already, right, incredible rates of inflation, gas prices through the roof. I'll give you an example. So we pay about four cents uh, through a pound for potatoes through our partners at Harvest Against Hunger. And that's kind of a donated product, but that's the pack cost. Okay. And then the, a truckload of those potatoes in 2019 was $900. Now it's 1800 to $3,000. Whoa. So it's one of those situations where um, food is just going to become more and more expensive. And when food becomes more expensive, less and less of it is donated to organizations like ours. Are there parts of the county that have been hit harder than others? And if so, where are these places? Uh, That's a great question. What we've seen is um, lots of rises all across the county. So we're seeing like Bonnie Lake is an area that's seen incredible growth in how many people are seeking services out there. Um, Tacoma is always very high and uh, that's just continuing to rise. So in Pierce County right now, they're saying rents have gone up about 14.5% in the last year. So when we think about like the cost of rent, the cost of gas, the cost of buying groceries, and you live in a rural area or you live in an urban area, it's it's really impactful across the board right. to make those basic needs. Yeah. You you started to answer the, my next question, which is what are some of the current metrics that, that are causing you concern? 
that are giving you pause. Yeah, I think I, I have, have talked about that one a little bit, but we're alarmed to see how much numbers rose in the first quarter. Um, we, you know, as I said, we'd received calls from about 10 food pantries that they were running pretty low on food, which I've been in, in at EFN for five years. I've never had that call before. In five years. In five years. Yeah. Even in the height of COVID. And part of it is that the federal government really stepped in during COVID and the state government, right? And they provided a lot of food, but a lot of those resources are shrinking back to 2018 levels. And so... Um, as we think about who's most impacted, obviously our cities are really impacted. Tacoma sees a big impact. But at the same time, we have to think about our rural areas. Mm-hmm. There's there's so little transportation, right? right? If we go out to Eatonville, you have to get into Eatonville Town Center in order to get food or any other resource, really. Right. right? So that's part of why we do home delivery all across the county, because what we recognize is that access to service is is really dependent on where you are. Sure. What should listeners be aware of that they might not know about food insecurity in Pierce County? I think the thing I would most want people to know is I'd want you to just pause for a second, and I'd want you to think about who do you think is hungry? And then I want you to expand that picture. So unless you came up with a picture in your head that was a family um, that maybe had both parents working, if that, that really was in a situation where they were doing everything they could to make it, that is the majority of who's hungry. Obviously, there are folks that are unhomed or are unhomed neighbors that are hungry, but I think people are continually surprised to realize that it's families just like yours um, that are hungry. Think about nine people that you know. One of them is hungry right now. One of them did not eat three meals today. And, and that's what I would just say. And what we really try to stress is I think when we talk about need, we often do a lot of othering. And we like to think that's never going to be us. Right. But what the pandemic really showed us is somebody's life can change on a dime, right? They lost their health insurance. They lost their job. And all of a sudden, they've never needed a food bank before, and they need it now. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This episode is supported by One Pierce, the investment arm of Elevate Health. One Pierce is a nonprofit community investment fund focused on improving whole person health, advancing health equity, and expanding health access for the people of Pierce County. To learn more, visit us at onepierce.org. You know, we live in the Pacific Northwest, one of the wealthiest parts of the country. Um, and you're speaking to this right now. How could this happen in a place like this, a place that's so beautiful and so affluent? I would tell you that the flip side of living in one of the wealthiest places in the U.S. is that we live in one of the most expensive places. So even though we think about like federal minimum wage and that Washington pays higher than that, we also pay a tremendous cost. Um, Think about rents here compared to some other parts of the country. Right. Think about, you know, the cost of transportation, of a car, all of those things. Our wage scale has not kept up with the cost of living. It hasn't anywhere in the country, but when you live in somewhere in the country that has such a high upper class, mm-hmm. it really skews it. And then, you know, we also live in a, in a state that has a really regressive sales tax that really impacts people right where it hurts, right? When you pay sales tax on every single thing at this rate, 
it's not just because you want a new bike or you want a TV and, oh, that sales tax burden, right? It's sales tax on everything. Right. Talk to us, please, about the delivery service, because you said this is something new. So how does that work exactly? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things to understand about food pantry business is a lot of food pantries operate without paid staff. So, um, or they have just a few paid staff that they augment with volunteers. Mm -hmm. So like emergency food network pre COVID would have had 2,800 prepaid volunteers that they would have used to help expand their reach. And during COVID, you know, think about it like the day COVID struck, all of us lost 60% of our volunteer force. And so when volunteers kind of went away, it became really imperative to try to do everything we could to keep food in the system. And we had to think of kind of creative ways to use volunteers too. Like what were ways that we could use volunteers that would um, have little impact on their health? Because most of the volunteer force was really at high risk. So um, between that and the fact that we had all these people that were afraid to get on buses, I mean, it's hard to remember now, but I know I was washing my groceries when they came home, right? We didn't have any idea how you got COVID. And sometimes it's hard to remember that's where we started. And so... We started this home delivery program. As I said, we started with about five families, and then it just grew and grew and grew. So now we're at about 250 families. We serve them twice a month. We do shelf-stable, a beautiful fresh produce bag, a lot of it procured locally or from our farm. And then uh, we also do like a meat and cheese bag uh, that goes out once a month. And the real magic of this program are the 45 volunteers. So 45 volunteers pull up their cars, they get a route map that we produce, they load up all their deliveries, and the and then they go out all over the county. Some people drive for us for three or four hours, twice a week. Um, and that is part of their service to the community, to the world. Wow. It's incredible. But the thing that I love most about it is it reminds people that they're not forgotten, right? So, so many people with COVID became incredibly isolated. And they wait for our delivery drivers. They have a relationship with them. We do not no contact, so we drop it on the porch. But, you know, they stand at the window and wave. And I think it's just one more way that people are reminded that there are still people that remember them. I remember years ago that there was a sick stigma associated with those who used food banks. Has that stigma gone away to some extent, or is it still something that, that we struggle with? I think there's so much stigma about people who use food banks. I think there's so much judgment and um, there's, I I think that's completely here still. One of the challenges we had during COVID is there's a whole group of people that have never had to access service that suddenly had to, right? And how do you reach them? How do you teach them how to use a service like this? How do you connect them to where that is in their neighborhood? Um, So we do a lot of kind of navigation for folks. They call our office. And then as I tell our staff, like this might be the worst day that they've had. Uh, This might be one of the hardest things that they've ever done is to ask for help like this. So we do our best to navigate them through like what the closest food pantry to them is, how they get there on a bus. Um, I, I wish there wasn't still stigma for this, but I absolutely think there is. And I don't, I don't have great answers on how to reduce that We really focus on a model with dignity. Um, We encourage our food pantries to do self-select. I mean, I love to pick out my own groceries. I don't want someone else to pick it for me. 
And sometimes that's what you need to do in order to be able to get product out the door, right, in a safe way or in a way that makes sense for your organization. That's what we do with home delivery. Mm -hmm. We pick for them. Sure. Um, But I think it's really about trying to remind people that this is a service that is out there for when they really need it, Mm -hmm. right? We also, as EFM, we do a lot of statewide advocacy through the Washington Food Coalition, and we've been really focused on reducing barriers to service, like geographic barriers, or um, we don't, as part of our contract, you can't require ID, things like that, Mm. right, that are additional barriers. And I think that's part of breaking down stigma is number one, talking about it, and number two, reducing as many barriers as possible to Mm -hmm. getting the service. Mm -hmm. Michelle, is the Pacific Northwest different in any way, shape, or form than other parts of the country? I mean, you're in this business um, in terms of how we deliver the service or who accesses it or how acute the need is. Are there, are there differences between us and elsewhere? And are we, I don't want to put it in these terms, but are we better off or worse off or about the same? That is such a great question. I don't know if you saw any of those national news pictures during the height of COVID of people lined up for 24 hours to get a box of food in in some parts of the country, right? Like that was devastating to see. And and what I want to be really proud about is there's a tremendous amount of support. Not that we don't need more, but there is support for helping to get people fed. There are people having these conversations. I mean, just to be here on your show today, right, to have organizations like you all highlighting this, um, I do think that means we're doing, we're doing okay. There's more to do, mm-hmm. and I always want to hold that benchmark out there for further ahead. But at the same time, um, I'm proud of the work we're doing here. You mentioned um, your your paid staff and then your your volunteer network. Such a large organization doing so many things across a county that is that is bigger than some countries. Um, what is the size of the organization? What, what's your staff and yeah. volunteer staff? So we have about um, 28 staff that are paid by EFN. And then we also have a couple of AmeriCorps. And then we also mm-hmm. have some back to work programs. Um, and, it's, I mean, I would describe us as a little bit gritty and scrappy. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're more than a little bit gritty and scrappy <laughs> to accomplish all that you do. So um, what events um, or occurrences are coming up for EFN in the near to midterm that that people should be aware of and that you'd like to talk about today? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, May is Hunger Awareness Month. So uh-huh. we just kicked off Hunger Awareness Month. And um, what here's the ask. I would ask everyone listening to this show to do one thing to impact hunger this month. Maybe you can even do two or three, but we have so many opportunities for you. We've got a hunger walk that goes all month long. You can do it virtually. Um, We have the letter carriers food drive, which is also called Stamp Out Hunger on the 14th. Um, And that is an opportunity. This is the easiest one. All you have to do is put some groceries. You know, I ask you to put in food that you would want to eat and you put it out at your mailbox um, in the bag that the post office provides. And that is an opportunity to 
actually give food to the food pantry. I mean, at the height of our collection times, we've collected over 200,000 pounds of food in one day with that drive. So it's a real big deal for us. We also have this program that I'm so proud of called Grow Your Food. Um, And we started this during the pandemic with 10,000 vegetable starts, and we're up to 20,000 now. And there's sites all over the county. And we say to you, um, not only should you increase your own food sovereignty, you know, by by growing some of your own food. When we talk about that supply chain, grow mm-hmm. your own food is the best way to, to circumvent the supply chain. But also grow a row, you know, grow a row for the food pantry, grow some food for your neighbors. Uh, we do a lot of food and fun donation drives this month. Um, one of the reasons that we have this in the month of May is that 65,000 kids are on free and reduced lunch in Pierce County. And all of those kids are going to hit the food pantry in the month of June. And this year in particular, we have some of the lowest rates of summer meal programs that we've ever had. So we're going to need that food for our kids. Mm -hmm. So think about doing a food drive. Our unions here, Union 483, they do an awesome job of a huge peanut butter drive. Last year, they raised 11,000 jars of peanut butter. Peanut butter is the perfect food. You can eat it if you have no teeth. You do not have to refrigerate it. And it is incredibly portable. Mm Mm-hmm. You talked about uh, the fact that uh, EFN inadvertently shut down uh, I-5, um, but talk to us about some success stories, some things that you are really proud of and that you, that the community might not necessarily know. Um, well, I am super proud of our home delivery program, right, which I would describe as very fast pivot and response. Um, I love our farm. So we have a farm out in the Puyallup Valley, uh, right by Spooner Farms. And we grow food, um, I like to say we grow food that people miss. So we grow over 100 varietals of food, and we visit with uh, food pantry um, customers every year, and we ask them, what reminds you of home, right? Whether that's from another country or that's another part of the United States, everybody has food that they remember from childhood, and that is the food that brings great comfort. So, for example, we grow over 50 kinds of Asian greens, Uh, We grow tomatillos. We grow like 20 kinds of peppers. And all of those things are super specific to someone's memories. Um, So I love that. I joke that we have even better uh, product distribution than some of the best markets in town because our food is harvested and then it's out to the 12 food pantries that receive that product, usually within 24 to 48 hours. So it's literally coming off the field in Puyallup and going out. Um, let's see, what else am I really proud about? Uh, I already mentioned hunger walk, so I hope you're going to come out for that. Really what we're trying to do as an agency is think about what are the barriers to food? What are the barriers to, um, our food pantries? What are the ways that we can collectively get out more food? So we are constantly thinking about relationship. Like we have a great relationship with the Port of Tacoma and um, some of our partners out in Auburn. And we'll call every Thursday and say, you know, do you have bananas or pineapples? And we'll bring in pallets of that and distribute it. Most of the food at EFN that's fresh is gone from our coolers within 24 to 48 hours. So we're just constantly turning it. We have a large-scale distribution network at this point. Um, You know, we're taking food out to all parts of the county. But if I'm honest with you, the thing that I'm most proud about is our team. So our team has worked through 
this pandemic in a way that's amazing. I mean, at one point I had to get to what I call my plan D, which was calling in the National Guard to help us stay open. We had so many people that were either sick or on quarantine, but that team has just come through again and again and again and and made this work. And then second behind that would be our volunteers. So 1,800 volunteers that are showing up. They're weeding at our farm. They're repacking rice, oats, and pasta. Uh, they're doing home delivery all over the county with little signs on their cars. Um, they're helping us in so many ways. And what they do for our reach compared to what we could do on our own is astronomical. It's just amazing. You know, um, I remember a few years ago that there was a lot of concern about food waste, about food getting trapped someplace and the inability to get it from point A to point B. And, you know, that crop would would rot or the ice cream would melt or whatever it is. How can you address those sorts of things? What sort of ways do you have to address those sorts of circumstances where food might go to waste if not for? Mm -hmm. That is such a great question. And I think it's twofold. One is I, I hesitate because sometimes we think food waste means that all food should go to the food pantry. And what I'm going to say right there as an honest answer is no. Um, that there is food that is past its time, that it's mm -hmm. the best use of that food is right, is to be recycled and composted. And we want to be sure that the people that are receiving food from us are doing it in a way that's not only dignified, but safe. And so I always think about that when I answer this question, because the answer to hunger in America is not to push food that is past its life, mm, right? And that right. doesn't mean a canned good that still has multiple years on it, but it does mean bro broccoli that's moldy should not go to the food pantry. Um, one of the things that we talk about at Emergency Food Network is proactively planning to be reactive. And what I mean by that is the food business that I'm in is all about being ready to say yes, and so what that means is like right now, we don't have enough space in our current facility. So we're running an additional 13 semi-tractors um, that we fill up with food as it's available. Uh, and then we distribute out. So it's about having the space to be able to say yes. It's about making the partnerships. Um, you know, there's distribution centers here in town that we go to sometimes upwards of three times a week. And then we just turn that product around. It's having the partners. I cannot speak enough about the 75 food pantries that we work with, right? Our work would never happen without them. But it's because we have those pantries in place already that when we get 45,000 pounds of potatoes, we're able to divide it. Um, it's about also being smart with your buying, right? And, and really thinking about, for example, when we have volunteers to repack rice and we can buy it in large quantities, that saves us $10,000 a truckload. If you buy it already packaged up, then we lose that. Hmm. And so I think being proactive in order to be able to respond to all opportunities is the way to go. Right. One final question for you, and that is, you know, we are in difficult times, you know, inflation and all of the things with the war in Ukraine and, you know, things, things are not rosy necessarily. But what gives you hope? You know what? I have so much hope and it is things just like this, right? I love that people want to hear our story. Um, I, I often think like the antidote to despair is action. And so to me, it is hopeful every single day 
that I know we're out there making a difference. Um, and if you're looking for a little bit of hope, I recommend you join us. <laughs> okay, folks, you heard that. <laughs> she, she's recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Michelle Douglas, CEO of the Emergency Food Network of Pierce County, thank you so much for being with us. Thank enjoyed you. enjoyed the talk with you. For more information about the Emergency Food Network of Pierce County, please visit their website, efoodnet.org. Did I get that right? You did. Thank All right. You. Excellent. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please support the work of Elevate Health by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues and by leaving a rating and review. Please also like, subscribe, or follow Elevate Health Podcast wherever you are listening so that you will never miss an episode. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. This episode of the 8020 Project was produced by Robert Marshall Wells and Joshua Wiersma. Original music was composed by Riley Eggie, and the episode was engineered and edited by Joshua Wiersma. Please like, subscribe, or follow Elevate Health Podcasts wherever you are listening so that you will never miss an episode. <laughs>